Amen. You sound good tonight, church. Open your Bibles to the book of Galatians, chapter number 2. Galatians, chapter 2. I'm letting my family rest their vocals tonight. They're working hard preparing for the Easter cantata. Amen. And so uh, we're not going to overwork them tonight. Galatians, yeah, we'll let Miss Jane do that. Amen. <laughs> uh, where's Miss Jane at? She's not in here to be picked on, is she? That's all right. Take You'll take <laughs> No doubt. No doubt. Amen. Just when it's coming from you, leave me out of it. <laughs> That's right. All right, Galatians chapter 2, and I'll begin reading in verse number 11 tonight. Uh, just for sake of time, uh, but before I start reading, just to give you a little bit of context, uh, many of the Jews who had been accustomed to living or at least attempting to live under the Mosaic law were being born again, coming to know Christ as Savior, and uh, of course there was this great transition from the mentality and the philosophy of the old uh, covenant versus the new covenant. And so what you had was some striking contrasts of practice and behavior within the church. Uh, the Jews in particular that were uh, raised Jews were having a difficult time letting go of the things that they were trained their whole life were required for righteousness, such as uh, circumcision, such as different things that the law had laid out and and uh, the kind of food that they were allowed to eat and not to eat and that kind of thing. And and so they, uh, they began to learn that in Christ the law was already fulfilled and that there were some ceremonial components of the law that were no longer even required or expected, such as circumcision, for example, and such as... Uh, refraining from eating certain types of meats. Uh, under the old Mosaic law, it was forbidden to eat, for example, pork. But in the New Covenant, pork was allowed. And, and so there was uh, beginning to be some tensions depending upon where these uh, apostles would go to preach. Peter in particular, if he preached to the Jews, he would try to, uh, he was kind of like, what's, what's, the, what's them lizards called that change color with their environment? He was kind of like a spiritual chameleon. How many of you have ever acted like that? Don't don't be shy. Be honest. Amen. Sometimes we got uh, we 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 do that. It's, it's human nature to try to blend in. You don't want to stick out. So you kind of stand at a distance and observe a little bit and figure, out, okay, how how do they do it here? And and you try as much as you can, amen, to fit in. And so Peter was doing some of this. And so when he was around the Jews, he acted like a Jew. When he was around the Gentiles, he let down his guard and. And he ate pork or whatever, you know, and, and basically Paul called him out for it. And we're going to read about some of that. But that's kind of the, the clash that's going on. And so that gives you a little bit of context. Now look at verse number 11. But when Peter was come to Antioch, I withstood him. This is Paul the apostle writing to the church of Galatia. He said, I withstood him to the face because he was to be blamed. Uh-oh. The preacher's fixing to be called out in front of everybody. Paul, of course, exercising the gift of the bishop, uh, an overseer of the overseers, so to speak, uh, 
Amen. He was an apostle, of course, but uh, he was taking authority and calling Peter out for his hypocrisy. Look at verse 12. For uh, before that certain came from James, he did eat with the Gentiles. But when they were come, he withdrew and separated himself, fearing them that were of the circumcision. And the other Jews dissembled, that's a big word we'll look at momentarily, dissembled likewise with him insomuch that Barnabas also was carried away with their dissimulation. But when I saw that they walked not uprightly according to the truth of the gospel, I said unto Peter before them all, if thou, being a Jew, livest after the manner of Gentiles, and not as do the Jews, why compellest thou the Gentiles to live as do the Jews? And the truth was, and we'll get into this in a minute, Peter was more afraid of the Jews than he was the Gentiles. Uh, he, he feared their thoughts, their actions, their repercussions, because they were very politically... Uh, ingrained in their culture uh, and uh, they had certain powers and persuasions and he wanted to be on their good side he didn't want to have any trouble with them so he tried to take the path of least resistance but it was making a hypocrite out of him in the process verse 15 we who are Jews by nature and not sinners of the Gentiles knowing that a man is not justified by the works of the law but by the faith of Jesus Christ, even we have believed in Jesus Christ, that we might be justified by the faith of Christ and not by the works of the law. Uh, in other words, Peter didn't need to be bringing these new Gentile converts around other Jews who got saved and trying to give them a different standard of living around the Jews just to impress them. It was creating confusion even in the church because these new believers, uh, when they got saved, they were told it was by grace through faith, not of works. But then all of a sudden when they got around the Jews, Peter changed the story. Hey, boys, when we're around these fellows, we got to act a little different, and it, was, it wasn't good. You, you get the picture, right? Uh, and so it said, uh, For by the works of the law shall no flesh be justified. But if, while we seek to be justified, by Christ, we ourselves are found sinners. Is therefore Christ the minister of sin? God forbid. For if I build again the things which I destroyed, I make myself a transgressor. I'm going to explain some of this momentarily. Be patient with me. Verse 19. For I through the law am dead to the law, that I might live unto God. I am crucified with Christ. Nevertheless I live, yet not I, but Christ liveth in me. The life which I now live in the flesh, I live by the faith of the Son of God who loved me and gave himself for me. I do not frustrate the grace of God. For if righteousness came by the law, then Christ is dead in vain." Okay, my focus tonight is verse 21. I do not frustrate the grace of God. Now, quickly, let's look at the meaning of this word frustrate. It comes from the Greek 
word or the Greek number 114 in the Strong's Concordance, G114, which means to set aside, that is to disesteem, neutralize, or violate, or cast off, or despise, or disannul, or bring to naught, or reject the grace of God. Uh, I do not frustrate, that is, I do not disesteem, or I do not neutralize the grace of God. What he's saying essentially is if I claim to live by grace, but then I go back to works, essentially I am writing off the grace of God as if it is non-essential and not important. Okay. In other words, if righteousness were obtained by the law, why would we need the cross? You get what I'm saying? Okay. Another way to look at the word frustrate here can be defined by the Webster's 1828 Dictionary as literally to break or interrupt, hence to defeat or to balk or to bring to nothing as to frustrate a plan, will, or purpose. The whole plan, will, and purpose of Calvary was to bring redemption to man who could not secure salvation for himself any other way than by, through, by grace and through faith in Jesus Christ. And so for one to place themselves up under this regimented legalistic list of rules uh, to try to live up to a certain standard to be pleasing to man and God is to bring themselves back up under the grace of God uh, and defeat the whole purpose of Calvary altogether. And so we're not working. I like to, when I start, start talking about works, works for the believer is not to attain salvation, but it is, to sh it is to testify of salvation. Let me say that again. Works is not to attain salvation. It is to testify of the salvation that you already have. Uh, let your light so shine before men that they may see your good works, not emulate, not achieve, but see your good works to what purpose? And glorify your Father which is in heaven. Amen. So we work because we're saved, and we work to bring others to Christ, but we don't work to get saved. We're, we're already saved if we're putting our faith in Jesus Christ. So I hope that you clearly see the difference there. Uh, and so when he says, I do not frustrate the grace of God, what he is essentially saying is, I am not fixing Peter to go back into the bondage of the law when Christ has already set me from the guilt and the condemnation that the law had me under. I have been redeemed by the grace of God. I am covered in the righteousness of Christ himself. Why would I then try to live up to the law which only brings condemnation and death because under the law all are guilty before God except Jesus Christ himself and Jesus who knew no sin became sin for us that we might be made the righteousness of God and so it is important as a reminder tonight that works religious works do not help you in the eyes of God in terms of your salvation Okay, now having established that really basic fundamental core doctrine, works versus grace, let's go on in this study. I want to give you three quick things. When grace gets frustrated, 
there is the presence of, number one, slippery standards. Slippery standards. Verses 11 and 12 illustrate this well. But when Peter was come to Antioch, I withstood him face to, to his face because he was to be blamed for before that certain came from James, he did eat with the Gentiles. But when they were come, he withdrew and separated himself, fearing them which were of the circumcision. And so even, and this kind of, in a way, makes me feel a little bit better about myself, even though it's wrong for anybody to fear man. But I'm looking at this great man of God by the name of Peter. And even he faced the challenge of do I please God or do I fear men? Amen? And that ought to offer some consolation to all of us because sometimes we find ourselves in environments where we are tempted to allow our standards to slip and slide a little bit to appease the men that, are, that we're trying to impress or that we're trying to live up to a certain standard before. Amen? Uh, so uh, whenever, But this frustrates the grace of God when we have a set of standards that change with the environment that we are in. This is a fear-based existence. This is not a faith-based existence. And I believe, if you want to write something else down that's not, uh, that's maybe, I don't have a blank for you there, but if you want to write this down, you can. Authenticity, based upon the authority of God's Word, is the safeguard against manipulation. Essentially, the reason we sometimes change our standards, depending upon who we're around, is because we allow the fear of men to manipulate our actions. Now, what they may or may not intend on manipulating us, but sometimes we can allow ourselves to be manipulated by our own perceived realities. We may think that someone, for example, will condemn us if we don't wear a suit and tie to church. So what do we do? We wear a suit and tie to church so that we're not condemned by others. That's just one example of many that I could give. Uh, but so many Christians today are living up to the appearance that they think or assume others expect them to live up to to prevent their scorn, to prevent their attacks, but they have no real, genuine, authentic, and sincere walk with God. It's all a fear-based, man-based uh, uh, reality. And, and so this frustrates the grace of God when men allow themselves, when Christians allow themselves to live a fear-based Christian experience. Who are we here to please? Men or God? Amen? Now, here's the thing about your liberties. Uh, there are certain liberties that you have in Christ that you, with the authority of the Word of God, can live in, and some people are not going to be happy about your liberties. Because they have a certain list that they're living up to and they're assuming makes them righteous. And they assume that because you're not living by the list that makes them righteous, then you're not righteous either. And some of them are very vocal about it and very manipulative about it. And so what ends up happening for the weaker Christians is sometimes they live very confused existence. 
Because when they're around one crowd, it's, everything goes. And, there's no, you know, and then they get around this other crowd and they're super spiritual and they, they got all this list, these, got all these rules, and, and it looks like the church suffers from spiritual schizophrenia. Because it depends on where you go as to what the standard is and who's right and who's wrong, and the young Christians don't have a clue what they're supposed to even do. My advice for you is to get your nose in the book Follow Jesus and don't worry about what any of that crowd has to say about you. Can I get an amen? amen. Because you don't need to live a fear-based existence because when you do, it frustrates the grace of God that he meant for you to live up under. Uh, 2 Timothy 3 verse 14 says, But continue thou in the things which thou hast learned and hast been assured of, knowing of whom thou hast Learn them. One thing for sure, when the Spirit of God teaches you something straight out of the Word, and you have been assured of that. Uh, see, it's one thing to learn something, but it's another thing to be assured of it. Have you ever heard something? You just learned something. But then you're not 100% sure that it's right, so you do a little deeper dive, right? You, you want to be sure that you're right on that thing. Well, that's the diligence that you need to have with the Word of God. Don't just take my word for it. Don't just take any preacher's word for it. Go to the book. Ask the Holy Spirit to speak to you. And once you personally have been assured of that teaching from the Word of God, stand upon the authority of God's Word and don't let other people shake your belief because you've already been assured by God and by the Word of God that that belief is accurate according to the Word of God. Now, God obviously gives us teachers, preachers, pastors uh, for our edification, for our learning, to help us understand the Word of God. Amen. But if, you're an, if you are a student of the word, you can prevent from being manipulated or deceived by false teaching. Amen. Because if you're saved, you have the Holy Spirit living in you too. And he can just as well teach you what's right and wrong as he can teach me. And so our standard is not Gary Caudill. It is not any other preacher. It's not necessarily any other uh, dogma or denomination. It is the very word of God amen and when you establish your belief system upon sound doctrine out of God's word that will eliminate this slippery standard that we have and then you can learn how to live in freedom and in grace and uh, you won't be uh, manipulated by your actions and living a false pretense around one crowd and being somebody that you're not just so that you can keep your appearance up with them. Uh, and, and usually this is not, you know, a lot of people are afraid to exercise their liberty because they don't want to offend a weaker brother. Now, that's a whole different subject altogether. And we'll get to that another day. I'm not talking about whether or not we should behave a certain way around the weaker brethren who don't understand. I'm talking about when we get around other leaders in the church. And those leaders look at something a little different or believe a little different or uh, practice something a little bit different than we do. Are we going to change colors with the environment? Uh, Scott Boatner, my friend, asked this question. It's a very profound question. It's one that we all need to ask. Are we adapting to our environment or are we growing in grace? There's a big, it could be a big difference. Amen. I don't want to have a bunch of robots that do what Gary Caldwell expects them to do. 
I don't. I'm not interested in that. That's why I don't give people a whole list of things that I expect them to do every week. Now, I may have some things I could use your help with. I may ask you to help them, but I'm not going to come to you and rebuke you if you don't, uh, you know, uh, live up to a certain dress code or this or that. I'm going to leave that between you and the Lord, and I'm going to preach the Bible straight, and I'm going to let you and the Lord work that out. Obviously, I wouldn't want you to come to church half naked, right? You know, that, there's, a, there, there's, a, there's a line somewhere to be drawn, but we're not dealing with extremes. We're talking about basic principles here, just general principles, right? And so get your standards from the Word of God, not from men who like to manipulate, who like to control, or who are afraid of the others who like to manipulate or control. I, I don't think Peter's heart was in the wrong place. I just think that he had a lesson to learn that we all have to learn. Amen? But I do question the hearts of those that Peter feared. Right? And sometimes people that you are afraid of, you're afraid of them for a reason, because they're intimidating, because they're condescending, and because they're very vocal about your alleged misbehavior. And so rather than being publicly scorned, you'd rather just play by the rules and play it safe because you don't want them to bring any unnecessary attention to you. I don't know who I'm talking to tonight, but this can be applied uh, in all kinds of environments as you walk with God and as you find yourself serving Christ in different places that he opens doors for you. Uh, bottom line is stay true to the word of God. And be comfortable with God's standard and not man's. And don't let it shake you if someone thinks that you're wrong when you know according to the word of God you're in good standing with him. Don't, don't let it bother you. Let them think what they want. Let them say what they want. You have nothing to prove to nobody but God. Amen? All right, so don't get caught up in this slippery sliding standard where it changes everywhere you go. And I want to say this before I move on to the second point. Confidence in God's word is the safeguard against deception. Confidence in God's word is the safeguard against deception. Once you have learned and been assured of the teachings of Scripture, then stand and be confident on God's word so that you're safeguarded against those who might seek to lead you astray. Amen. And live by the standards of God's Word. Now, when we're starting to talk about grace versus works, whew, boy, this is a big subject. Uh, next Sunday night, Lord willing, I'll probably do a, a lesson Tonight I'm teaching on when grace gets frustrated. Next Sunday night I'm going to deal with this subject on when grace gets abused. It's a different subject. It's, on, it's the same subject but a different, uh, a different uh, it's a sub-point. It's all about the grace of God. Uh, but I don't want you to misunderstand my teaching. Just because we have grace don't mean we should take full advantage of God's forgiveness and act like God doesn't care how we live. Because he very much cares how we live. Amen, and we're going to cover that strong and heavy, Lord willing, if, uh, next Sunday night. Uh, we don't need to abuse God's grace. Uh, so I wanted to make that clarification 
But tonight we're just dealing with general principles. As a rule of thumb, as a Christian, you answer to God. Uh, we believe as Baptists in what we call the priesthood of the believer. That each and every believer can go directly to the throne room of God and talk directly to God through Jesus Christ and don't need to talk to a human priest to talk to God on your behalf. You can bypass the preacher, you can bypass the preacher, and go straight to God Almighty through Jesus Christ, your high priest. And he will speak to you and he will direct you through the Holy Spirit and the Word of God and you can get your answers from him. And he says, call unto me and I will answer thee, show thee great and mighty things which thou knowest not. So if you're a little bit confused by what men have taught, just go to God's Word and ask for guidance and he will teach you, he'll clear it up for you. And once he does, stand on it and don't look back. Amen. And that'll, that'll help you get some sure footing on some things and be solid in your standards. All right, so... Number one, when grace is frustrated, there is a presence of slippery standards. But number two, there is, there be, uh, when grace gets frustrated, because there is slippery standards, there is also susceptible students. Look at this in verse number 13. And, uh, and the other Jews dissembled likewise with him, with who? With Peter. Insomuch that Barnabas also was carried away with their dissimulation now this word dissembled literally means to act hypocritically in concert with let me put it this way we have here a case of follow the fake leader when the leader fakes it the followers fake it the only thing worse than a fake leader is a bunch of fake followers behind that fake leader. That's why it's important to get it right from the leadership on. If we can't get it right, and you pray for me that I'll get it right in the pulpit. Amen. That I'll get it right as the leader of the church. Because as goes the leader, so goes the followers. I pray for authenticity, I pray for genuineness, I pray for sincerity, amen. I pray for a genuine personal walk with God for each and every individual and that we would have the spiritual maturity to allow ourselves room for growth as we grow in grace and in the knowledge of the Lord Jesus Christ. That we would be, not become Pharisees and Sadducees and hold each other to unreasonable and unrealistic religious expectations that not even God himself would place on anybody, but that we would love one another and give ourselves room to breathe and room to grow as we figure this thing out together. Amen. Because if we don't, we become susceptible students. That means we become influenced by destructive habits and behaviors. And it is destructive for any leader of any church to be hypocritical, and allow that hypocrisy to go on unchecked with a sense of pride and arrogance and an unwillingness to admit that they're doing it. So many times leaders, because they have an image to protect, are unwilling to say, I was wrong or I am sorry. Amen. But we need to be careful, don't we? Every one of us, by the way, are spiritual leaders to somebody. 
If you've been saved for any length of time, you may be a spiritual leader to your spouse or to your children or your grandchildren or, or maybe uh, other people who are looking up to you for influence and guidance. Don't be the Pharisee that they become. If you want them to be authentic, you be authentic. If you want them to be honest and sincere, you be honest and sincere. If you want them to have transparency, you be transparent. But don't be so defensive about your image that you're unwilling to admit when you're wrong. I don't see anywhere where Peter argued with Paul when he openly rebuked him. I imagine he wanted to crawl up under a rug and hide. I would have. Amen. I'm sure it hurt his pride, but this ain't the first time Peter's been openly rebuked. Jesus started with Peter way back when. And here Peter is years down the road, still being rebuked. I say hallelujah, 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 that even Peter, after many years of ministry, still had some lessons to learn because that makes me feel just a little bit better. Not much because we all know better, right? But it does give me some consolation that someone as mighty with God as Peter even had struggles like this. And that ought to encourage you and I. That really, at the end of the day, other than the specific call that God had Peter on Peter's life and the purpose he had for Peter, uh, from a human perspective, we're really, he was really no different than us. Amen. We're all made of the same stuff, needing the same God and the same level of grace. Amen. But be careful. If you're going to live the life of a Pharisee, be careful because you will produce offspring. And typically, even Jesus taught that when Pharisees, scribes and Pharisees produce their offspring, I call it, their students, their disciples, uh, Jesus said they're sevenfold the child of hell as themselves. Whoo! In other words, what you do in moder- uh, moderation, your, uh, your students do in excess. So be careful who you are. If you want them to be genuine and sincere and honest and real and not a fake, then you be all of those things. That's the only way we can produce uh, offspring and students that take this thing seriously, that don't fake it that don't live hypocritically, and give themselves permission to continue to live fake. Amen? So we've got to be real. We're talking about not frustrating God's grace. God give us grace for a reason. You know what grace does? Grace gives you the permission to relax in the presence of God. Now, I didn't say relax about your sin. I said to relax in the presence of God. Without grace, you can't even enter His presence. With grace, you can relax in His presence. Because once grace is applied, you're covered. Amen? And, and, and under the old Mosaic law, they was afraid to even go up to the base of the mountain to touch it because they might get struck down with lightning or thunder. You remember the fellow that tried to stabilize the cart to keep the ark from falling off. And, and he had good intentions. He didn't want that ark to fall to the ground. But it was forbidden by the law for man's hands to touch it. And when it did, he, he, he dropped dead. So we went from that contrast where you can't even uh, walk into the presence of God to now 
Come on in. The water is fine. <laughs> Amen. Because of the blood of Jesus who qualifies us to sit in the presence of God. That's what grace gives us the ability to do. And if we live such a miserable existence as Christians by our rules and our standards and our expectations of others that they're miserable around us, they're going to get the impression that they can't relax in God's presence either. Well, let's not misrepresent God's grace. Let's not frustrate His grace. Amen. And so uh, we have that. And then lastly, I want to say this. When grace gets frustrated, there is the presence of serious sin. Serious sin. I don't know why it's so easy for us sometimes to almost in jest talk about being a hypocrite. It's almost like a running joke in the church. Oh, yeah, that's, I'm just a hypocrite. Well, everybody's hypocritical every once in a while, we'll say. And, and uh, though that's true, that's, that's honest, uh, you, you take this degree of hypocrisy that we're talking about in Galatians chapter 2, it's no small matter. In fact, if you look at it, Chapter 1 and verse 6. No, no, verse 18 first of chapter 2 where we was just at. Let's look at verse 18. For I, if I build again the things which I destroyed. Stop right there. What is Paul saying? If I build again the things which I destroyed. Well, what he's saying is grace destroyed his need to live up to his religious standards. You remember Paul before he got saved? He was, he was the most avid supporter and Jew. Uh, I mean, he was, he was chief. I mean, he was the guy that was persecuting the Christians on behalf of the Jewish religion. He was so, uh, what's the word I'm looking for? Zealous. He was very zealous. He was so religious. And he held up the traditions of his forefathers more than any of them. But when Christ came, he had to junk his religion. I didn't say he destroyed the law of God. I said he had to junk his religion. Jesus said, I came not to destroy the law, but to fulfill it. But in, for, in order for the grace of God to fulfill the law of God for Paul or any of us, we have to allow the grace of God to junk our religion our desire to measure up through our own works to try to appease God to try to impress God we can't do it grace destroys our efforts it proves to us that we if we could do it that way we should have already done it that way but because we can't and won't do it that way the only option on the table that's left is grace and that destroys any idea or notion of our own that we can measure up without grace's assistance and so what Paul is saying is if I build again the things which I destroyed, my level of personal self-righteousness that I was able to muster up, if I go back to the law and start building a doctrine of law versus grace again, then I make myself a transgressor. I'm, I'm sinning by becoming the hypocrite. And try, so by trying to avoid alleged sins that men have made up, you become the sinner in the eyes of God. <laughs> are you following me say amen 
So it becomes a serious sin when we choose works and a list and rules and regulations that we want ourselves and others to measure up to versus the grace of God. Now, look, go back one chapter, chapter 1, verse 6. What did Paul write? He said, I marvel that ye are so soon removed from him that called you into the what? The grace of Christ unto, he calls it, another gospel. Well, of course it's another gospel. It's not the gospel of Christ that you should live by the Mosaic law to attain the righteousness of God. In fact, that never was the objective of the law to start with, even from the beginning. The law was never given to measure up to. The law was given to find you guilty before God and introduce the Savior, Jesus. Now, of course, God expected you to strive to keep the law, but it, the point was not for you to uh, have an avenue by which to obtain salvation, but have an avenue by which to see your need for a Savior whose name is Jesus. So it becomes a serious sin to have self-righteousness. Isn't that interesting? Isn't that exactly opposite of what the self-righteous Pharisee expected? To think that they measured up and then to find that their very righteousness is in the eyes of God, filthy rags. It's not just a sin, it's a grave sin. It's in fact another gospel what did paul said if any preach any other gospel let him be accursed verse 7 he said which is not another but there be some that trouble you and would pervert the gospel of christ and uh, i would just encourage you to be a non-participant with those that would seek to pervert the gospel of jesus christ amen be a non-participant don't entertain them don't give them your ear don't give them your attention don't give them the time of day there are many false prophets and teachers that will have you believe in all kinds of things have you believe in you have to do this do that jump this high bow that low pray this long etc 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 all to please god when at the end of the day the only thing that pleases god is faith in his son amen when grace gets frustrated. Now let me bring this to a close. Galatians 1.10 said, For now, for do I now persuade men or God? Or do I seek to please men? For if I yet pleased men, I should not be the servant of Christ. Here's my question. Who are you trying to persuade and please? Men or God? Here's your last two points. You ready to fill them in? It takes works to persuade and please men. Does it not? For us, seeing is believing. Don't just tell me you love Jesus. I want to see some works, baby. Show me what you got. And that's how we measure ourselves one against another, don't we? I go to church more than you, so I must be closer to God than you. 
Don't we do that? We, we are either impressed or depressed by the works or lack of. So works may persuade and please men, but it takes faith to persuade and please God. And only God sees the heart. Because we measure ourselves by works. But that's only because we're limited and shallow and unable to see the, true, the deep down desires and sincere thoughts of the heart and mind. And while we may criticize somebody for not doing and doing and doing for Jesus because we're doing more than them, God may see somebody that has not the capability to do, 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 but has the heart of a champion and would do, run circles around you if they could. So what are we doing? Who are we trying to persuade and please? If you're trying to persuade men and please men, you'll get wrapped up in works and you'll work yourself to a frizzle and they'll still not be happy with you. But if you want to persuade and please God, learn to trust Jesus and follow his instructions. Amen. Just follow Jesus. Do what Jesus said do. Say what Jesus said say. Amen. And just trust him. Believe him. And he'll teach you how to live right. If you live like Jesus, you'll live right. That's a byproduct of faith in Christ. Amen. We're not doing away with the need to live right. We're just saying that's not your righteousness, so quit trying. Quit trying to get righteous and try to start pleasing God by putting your faith in Christ, and then the, the fruit will speak for itself. And all God's children say amen. Let's pray. Father, thank you for the word. Thank you for the attention of your people. Help us, Lord, to not frustrate your grace. Help us to abide in it, trust in it, live by it, and share it with others. We pray in Christ's name. Amen. You're dismissed. God bless you.